The title Women in Fiction might mean, and you might have meant it to mean, women and what they are like, or it might mean women and the fiction that they write, or it might mean women and the fiction that is written about them, or it might mean that somehow all three are inextricably mixed together, and you want me to consider them in that light. But when I began to consider the subject in this last way, which seemed the most interesting, I soon saw that it had one fatal drawback. I should never be able to come to a conclusion. I should never be able to fulfill what is, I understand, the first duty of a lecturer, to hand you after an hour's discourse a nugget of pure truth to wrap up between the pages of your notebooks and keep on the mantelpiece forever. Welcome to episode four of Sandwich Wingman. I'm Rob Hanna, here with Ryan Morrison. How are you today, Ryan? I'm very good. Well is... well met. Nice, oh. uh, nice opening quote there. I appreciate that. This is pretty... Uh, I'm looking forward to this. As you know, uh, Virginia Woolf is one of my favorite authors, and this is Virginia Woolf's A Room of One's Own. Uh, and uh, it... Uh, that quote was getting to the fact that she was just thinking about the uh, the theme of the lecture that was she was, she was being asked to give, uh, Women in Fiction, mm. <laughs> or that was the title of it, and she was trying to explore that. And I know you and I both love the, the sentence there at the end about a pure, a, uh, a nugget of pure truth. That's, that's what we're all about, my friend. Yes. After and... an hour's discourse. <laughs> yes, yes, after an hour's discourse, after a, after a lunch hour, as it were. Right. Um, that is what we're about. Yes, that's um, the the first duty of a of a lunch hour partner. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, so, I'm I'm also kind of excited today to get into that and get into some other stuff about Wolf, which we'll get to later in the in the podcast. But uh, this week our our meat was beef. <laughs> beef. <laughs> yes, it, it it's what's the. It's it's what's the theme of our podcast. <laughs> I couldn't. I didn't practice that one. We'll have to. We'll have to uh, contact the the American Beef Council or whatever yes. it is about yes. changing their tagline to that. Yes. Yes. Um, beef. It's what was on episode four of Sandwich Wingman. <laughs> well said, Ryan. Well said. Um, so um, this is good. So I think we're gonna uh, follow this through and maybe. Um, I'll kind of kick off the conversation about beef here, and uh, sure. and maybe tell you a little bit about how I constructed my sandwich. Then I'll kind of kick it to you, and we'll kind of go through the the ratings that we usually do. So please, I am. This is my well, I'm turning into like the favorite moment of my week now is finding out what you did. I know this is true. I love that we go keep it. As it. A, I love that we keep it as a surprise. Yeah. Um. So so here we go. I'm going to tell you how it's constructed. But essentially, it was a ground beef. Uh, Sandwich. Oh. Uh, so, so, so here's how it kind of looks, and we'll we'll put a photo up online, I'm sure. Um, so I had crusty uh, bread, um, and I layered spinach into that. Oh, so I had crusty bread. It was essentially like a baguette, and I sliced it in half and into little pieces. So you know, maybe like uh, six or seven inches, maybe long. Cut it in half, and then stuffed it with layered spinach. Uh, sorry, with spinach, and I had another layer of Swiss cheese. Uh, I stuffed the sandwich then, or I scooped cooked uh, ground beef into it, um, and then I added craisins, or that, and added craisins. craisins. Yes, I know craisins is crazy, and then red kidney beans. So um, it's a little bit different, um, and it took some some time to assemble, uh, given that the the beef needed to be cooked. Um, but that's what it was. It essentially was like a ground beef sandwich. 
with uh, with cheese on a uh, essentially what I assume is a, a crusty French bread. Did the uh, did the cheese melt? Um, oh yes, good point. So um, I prepared it the night before, but then I microwave the next day, and the cheese melted then. Oh, so all right. yeah. So um, so what I typically do when I make these sandwiches, uh, I usually pack I, I pack them in aluminum foil. Uh, and then I reheat them if, if necessary the next day. But yeah, so I wanted to have something sweet. It was inspired by a dish I had had that was um, essentially a sweet meatball dish. So I really wanted to kind of try to get at that, but I didn't really quite have time this week to like make meatballs. Um, so uh, so we were here at uh, at our apartment making chili, and I was like, why don't we uh, you know use some of the the meat that we're cooking for the chili um, for a sandwich? For a sandwich, so, yeah. yeah. So that was the inspiration there. Um, so why don't you tell me? Oh, actually, I'm interested to know what you did this week. So what well, did you make? Well, oh yeah. What, what would you assign as a as an ease of assembly? Oh, ease of assembly. Well, let me think back then. So, so we had to cook the ground beef, um, and I had help with that because <laughs> uh, we're using it also for dinner. Um, I had to heat the beans uh, and slice the bread. Otherwise, it really wasn't that bad. Uh, overall, for the ease of assembly, there I'd give it a three out of five because it took. You know, it took a little bit of work, but it wasn't uh, crazy because it was kind of um, already kind of melded in with uh, uh, what we were already kind of doing for dinner. So it was a kind of almost like a leftovers type thing. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. All right. That's hey, uh. Well, I'm I'm looking forward <laughs> to talking about taste, but I'll I'll jump in. Yes, please. With uh, I I'm giving my my sandwich and ease of assembly score of a of four. Okay. Because. Um, this was my sandwich's best asset, I think. <laughs> was the, the ease of assembly. Um, so I used roast beef. Okay. Um, I put it on, on regular, like just like a large uh, wheat bread slices. Um, you know, I like with the with the oats on the top and stuff. Okay. Um, so roast beef. Have you ever had uh, tzatziki? You know what I'm talking I, about? I do. I, I actually don't know how to pronounce it. I don't know how to pronounce it either, but I, I think you've correct, though. And I also, I'm sure I've had it, but I'm not sure whether I could describe what is in it. Yeah, so it's a, so it's like a Greek uh, yogurt sauce. So it's yogurt, uh, dill. Oh, yes, and, yes. And some, some like, cut-up pieces of, of cucumber, pretty small. So right. So it's, it's kind of like a cool sauce. I don't know, is it more of a dipping sauce, maybe? But I, I put that on top of the roast beef, um, and I also had, uh, uh, before I put the roast beef on the sandwich, I um, opened a, I had a can of sliced uh, water chestnuts, and, oh. I, and I put the water chestnuts, you know, like a layer, I just kind of scooped them on and spread them a little bit um, onto the, the bread before I put the roast beef on top. Okay. So that's, uh, so it was really just uh, those three steps. You know, water chestnuts, roast beef, and then I didn't make the tzatziki. I just bought tzatziki and uh, spooned it on. And that oh, was it. Okay. Well, that that's it. that sounds relatively easy to assemble. Yeah. Um, but it sounds like you're you're giving us a little bit of a foreshadowing that perhaps uh, <laughs> uh, the experience and taste may have suffered a bit. Yeah. So yeah. Well. One step at a time, I guess. Do you want me yeah. to jump into nutrition, or yeah? Why don't you go for that, and then I'll, I'll kick back what I think of mine. Yeah, so I think I think, uh, and again, you know, we're not counting the bread against us because if we did, we'd have to do that every week. Exactly. Um, the water chestnuts are actually pretty healthy. 
like uh, quite healthy. I totally agree. And so, uh, so I'm going to give myself a, a four here because you know the yogurt's pretty good. Just I don't know. I, there was no no the unhealthiest thing about it. I guess was the roast beef. Sure. Uh, you know. So uh, and it's just that's just plain meat. I don't know. Yeah. What, what do we think about roast beef? Is there any are there any downsides nutritionally to that? Um, I don't. I I think. The thing that I like least about roast beef um, is the texture. Like, have you ever bitten into a sandwich with a bunch of roast beef, and it's just hard to like tear with your with your teeth? I can imagine. Like, kind of like, kinda yeah. like uh, you know, jerk your head to the sides. Yes, like, yes, to, yes. Try to rip off a piece of the the sandwich or whatever. That's yes. why. That's why I don't like uh, roast beef. In this instance, uh, that that worked out okay, but. Uh, uh, you know, I don't know. I, I guess uh, it's just plain meat, so I, I don't know that. Uh, I don't know. I think that's all right. And how, how much did you use? Um, I think just uh, like three slices or so. But okay, unlike with um, with the ham or a couple right. other type of uh, cold cuts, exactly. The, it's harder to kind of like pull this off the the pile and in, in neat slices and keep them together. So. So those would keep tearing, so then I just kind of keep building it on. Got it. And, uh, you know, unusual shapes, I guess. <laughs> Great. That sounds good. Okay, so uh, my so I'll tell you about mine. I think I feel similarly about the, the meat. So the ground beef, you can kind of, as you know, in the store, buy it with different levels of fat content. Sure. So um, I recall this being quite lean, though I don't remember the, the lean percentage, but I, I think they were actually 90% or above. Um, so they, they were, they were pretty lean. What's your uh, lean percentage? <laughs> me personally, like my, my, my body fat. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't remember, but I also like 3%. Uh, are, I you, am... are you 97% lean? <laughs> I don't know. That's a good question. Um, I, I remember getting tested at the gym. Oh God, probably back in the fall. Uh, but I don't remember, uh, what that was, but I, I imagine that as you, <laughs> I, I, I imagine that this the number radio, yeah, I know. I'm, well, you know, you know, you, you gotta, uh, you know, we're improvising. Um, so, you know, you have to imagine that it was, I'm pretty lean. So, um, improvising would be somehow getting someone in there to like measure your, your body fat percentage right now. Oh, we, that's right. That's true. Recording. I could, if, if I had one of those, what are they, um, like, um, a caliper? Uh, caliper. That's exactly what I was looking for. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> so if I had a caliper, that would be great. Um, so so I have some... calipers anyway, just for just for sandwich purposes. Oh yeah, I think. Um, Measure sandwiches. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, we couldn't just use uh, uh, rulers and and uh, tape measure? t- tension tape measures. Yeah. All right. Well, I can work with that. Uh, but I like the caliper because it makes me think of myself as almost uh, doing something um, medicinal. <laughs> yes. Um, so yes, we're 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 sandwich architects. Oh yes, well said. Yes. Um, yes. Yeah, so so yes, the, the construction of my sandwich involved a very lean beef, uh, which uh, was uh, we had added uh, salt and pepper, and we cooked it in a little bit of olive oil. I, I prefer cooking in olive oil. Um, mm-hmm. so, um, you know, that's not great, but the oil isn't that bad. Um, Swiss and ground beef. Yeah. The, the Swiss itself, you know, processed, but probably not that bad. Um, so, you know, I, I this is middle of the road, three out of five for me for, for nutritional value. That sounds right. Yeah. That sounds right. 
Um, so now for the for the the moment of truth, right? Yes. So the I'm, moment of, of pure truth. Yes, the, the 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 nugget, as it were, the the beef nugget. How did the crazy nuggets work with the with the ground beef here? Okay, so this is amazing. This you last week got to give yourself a nice high score on a taste, and I this week I give myself a high score on this. This was a nine out of ten for me. Wow. All right. I, I really constructed something that actually was quite tasty. Uh, you know, the actual eating of the sandwich, I'll get into a little bit in a bit about like, uh, you know, you're talking about leaning your head to have to really bite off stuff. Uh, I had some issues there, but this was sweet and salty. Uh, the bread was really fresh and crusty. Um, and with the cheese, it all kind of had this overall nice flavor. It all kind of kind of melded into each other. Um, though, admittedly, I couldn't really quite taste the, the kidney beans that I put in. It, it was kind of a lighter flavor. I also don't, I don't think they necessarily had a lot of high salt content to them. So they may have just tasted just like, you know, bland, you know. Um, but I think they added some good, uh, you know, texture and, and another type of ingredient there. So that was nice. Uh, but yeah, that, that was 9 out of 10. It tasted awesome. I enjoyed it the whole way through. And I think it was more mostly because of the balance of those flavors. Um, and it just... Oh. I did, yeah, so, and, and you know, the craisins are about the same size as the kidney beans, so everything kind of balanced that way, too. So, that so, was great. So, like, yeah. uh, so the sandwich was about how long? I, I, I know you don't have calipers. Or you didn't I don't have, have calipers. calipers I'm, I'm gonna, if I had to estimate, I would say it's a, it was like a half a foot, right? So, like, six inches. So, I'm trying to, I'm trying to picture, uh, I don't know how to uh, ask this question most accurately, but okay. I, I'm trying to get a feel for the... Um, the like ground beef and bean to craisin ratio. Yes. Like good how point. many craisins are in there? Uh, was, it, was it like a third craisin for this, or was it uh, just a few craisins? Or? Yeah, I would. I felt like the beans. Did you and just the, go crazy? <laughs> crazy. Crazy. Uh, um, I, I would say that there was a sprinkling of uh, craisins and of. Um, and, and not that many kidney beans either. I would say it was a mostly a beef sandwich with cheese, but we I had a sprinkling of these things. You know, if I had to estimate, you know, like maybe uh, no more than 10 craisins were in the whole six-foot thing. It was just enough to at the top of it. it no the, more the, than 10, you said? Oh, yeah. I think, well, the sandwich was pretty tight. I, I think I think the photo might, might do this a lot of justice, but the fact is, like, it was very th- relatively thin French bread. When I cut it in half, the, the, the each of the bread slices was probably, like, a, uh, I don't know, like um, only several millimeters or something. So it wasn't actually that thick. I guess maybe it was more than that, but okay. um, but it wasn't super thick. So when you see the inside of the sandwich, it, there wasn't that much room left to, to do any drizzle on the top. So I just mostly just had just a, a sprinkling of those things just to add All it right. as, a, as a flavor, which later became, I, I would say, a, a, a conversation piece factor. So that was good. And what about yours you, with the tzatziki and, and the chestnuts, water so, chestnuts? So I enjoyed mine. I, I um, It was... Uh... You know, I, I that the pickled egg and pickle and shaved carrots thing with the sriracha mayo, I, I gave that a six. Um, right. And I'm going to use that as kind of like, a, you know, that one was barely good enough for me to be interested in doing it again. Right. And um, I'm more interested in doing this again than that one. But I was going to settle in right at right at a seven. It, okay. It, it tasted pretty good. Um you know the water chestnuts don't didn't add a, a ton of flavor, and I wasn't really looking for that. I was mostly looking um, to kind of counteract the texture of the roast beef. Right. This real so it was a it was a it was a mouthfeel type of thing, and, and the same thing goes with the tzatziki. 
Um, but the, the flavor flavor was like largely yogurty, right? Right. The, the dill. Um, and, the, you know, it was pretty good roast beef. Uh, so I'd be interested in doing this again. I'm going to settle in at a seven. Well, that sounds great. To be honest, when, when you started the uh, your description of it, you made me think that you uh, we're, we're, we're going to tank this one. It just no, <laughs> it, it, it tasted pretty good. I, I'm about to tank this one. Oh, I see. But uh, yeah, it was uh, it was a little messy. Okay, well that's good. So you're giving us some, some decent points there. I, admittedly, I do not usually cook with either water chestnuts or tzatziki, so uh, th- that itself I'm I'm, in, I'm impressed with. That, that, I don't know if that was pushing your boundaries as much as it would have mine. Yeah, uh, what do you mean? Well, I, well I, you know, did you feel like this was way outside of your comfort zone to make a sandwich like this? Yeah, I don't know how what inspired me to to reach for the tzatziki. I was just kind of, you know, the thought exercise, just sitting down, thinking about the roast beef, think, just trying to, like, uh, move... Other flavors, like in and out of like the the carousel of my my mind's tongue, I guess. And uh, I couldn't even remember the name of it, but I've but I've had this uh, tzatziki, you know, I don't know five or six times before. And um, I just wanted something that was easy to easy to bite through because I was worried about that like tearing thing with the with the roast beef. Exactly right. And um, I don't know. I've always liked it. It's kind of light, uh, kind of tangy, um, tangier than the than the yogurt I've been eating regularly, I guess. And um, I don't know. I just tried to con- kind of continue on that channel. Uh, flirted with the idea of adding extra cucumber, but uh, that was going to take some work to to cut that up. Um, and if we're talking about um, Stuff that's kind of easy to bite through, right? Um, water chestnuts are—that's all the way, you know, at the at the easy to eat spectrum on the easy to eat end of the spectrum, I guess. Yep. So, the- so I don't know. I just I'm just trying to add a little add a little thickness to it without making it harder to eat because I was really concerned about that. Well, it sounds like you were real successful in that, so that's great. Uh, I, I don't know about you, but I don't typically even cook with yogurt. So, and to think to add it to my own sandwiches, I'm sure I've had it on sandwiches I've had out, but it's amazing to think that that worked out that way. That's awesome. Well, I'll go right into integrity then. Yeah, please. Yes. I'm sure that had some implications. Yeah, that was the, that was the the main drawback. I'm giving myself an integrity score of, of two because it it wasn't that, it wasn't that messy, but it was also something that had to concern me throughout the sandwich eating process because, um, Especially when it's not super cold, the tzatziki is um, not very thick. Like it, it's uh, it's pretty thin. Okay. So you put it on top of, of the meat on your sandwich, and it's it's gonna like come out pretty easily. It, it doesn't uh, require too much extra work. Oh. So. Um, so you gave that a two, you said. Yeah, because it, it just kind of kept coming out the side, which is fine, because I use a paper plate, and then you could kind of keep dipping the the sandwich in the tzatziki that, that spilled out. But, you know, less than ideal from a, from an integrity standpoint. How about you? Oh, my, yeah, to be honest, actually, 
I don't know whether I'm, I'm rating integrity incorrectly here, but I gave this one a five out of five for integrity. I thought this stayed together incredibly well, and I think it had something to do both with the bread being cr- crusty and kind of um, firm, but right. also with the cheese holding everything together. Because I will say that, as, as we know on, on other episodes, we've talked about the fact that I typically make more than one sandwich. I won't get into the other sandwich week, but essentially it was something pretty similar but didn't involve the cheese. And it completely just didn't stay together. Everything kept falling out, the beans and the craisins and everything. So incredible. The cheese itself really kept the integrity of the sandwich. So that was a that was a major uh, – that was a learning opportunity, I guess. Or, um, so, yeah, the, the whole sandwich stayed together. I will say it was difficult to bite into. I had to do the kind of tilt your head, really kind of bite it off. But I, I don't think that necessarily would, would mean that the integrity was bad. That might just be the experience of it, which I dinged it on. Yeah, okay. Uh, but, yeah, but absolutely. A very um, – uh, a sandwich with high integrity was very pleasing. Okay, but what about... So I will say that... Um, a high level of character. It's yes. It's just a, a sandwich of high integrity. Yes, yes, yes. No, no one can say a negative thing about about the sandwich. It's well, just, I, uh, some could, I suppose, right? Um, it's, a, it's a stand-up sandwich. And speaking of saying things about sandwiches, what about your sandwiches uh, rating for conversation piece? Uh, I'm going to go middle of the road here, uh, three. Um, I think the water chestnuts are, are pretty interesting. I liked being able to talk a little bit about the the, the difference in texture. Yes, uh, it was good. And um, another thing that added to the <clears throat> conversation piece aspect of this, I, I did try this sandwich um, three different ways. Oh, okay. And, and I went I went with um, I went with the version I went with because the the flavor was about equal for each three. Like the taste, I would have rated the same. <clears throat> right. But. Um, the other two versions were a little bit harder to assemble, and so I figured, well, if they're the same, I might as well go with the easy one. Exactly right. Uh, but the other two things I went with, and it was kind of interesting to talk about this too, um, the easy one was uh, one of the times I did it at work, I have uh, Tabasco sauce there, and before spooning the tzatziki onto the sandwich, I... You know, I splashed some Tabasco in the tzatziki and mixed it up, so it had it had kind of the the heat there, and that was good. Yeah. Um, uh, that's sometimes that's just gonna work. And uh, the time I did it at home, um, I actually grabbed some mint. We were talking about mint. Exactly right. And I kind of covered the tzatziki with a layer of mint leaves, and uh, that was interesting too. But it wasn't better. Like it was, it was a different sandwich, but it wasn't better. So it was, it was that was pretty good too. That was so that's uh, one way we can use mint. But I guess as you can see from the fact that I've had things to talk about, that there's something to talk about there. Well, maybe is not uh, wasn't spectacular. No, but I'm conversation I'm, piece. But I'm I'm still I'm actually pretty intrigued by this mint edition. I, I'm. So, so that obviously this wasn't like your core sandwich, but this is only kind of an adaptation of it, right? Um, yeah. Well, you know, if it had worked out better, that's then that's what I would have um, yeah gone with this week. But yeah, but uh, so what, what did the? I mean, mint. I mean, what is mint? I mean, mint is like uh, I, I guess it adds kind of a sweeter flavor. Uh it's. It's just really just the coolness. There's no right. I don't think there's no like sugar aspect of it, especially if you're getting it right from the leaves, which is what um, I was doing here. Uh, yeah. But it made it made the tzatziki feel even cooler, I guess. 
Right. But inconsistently so because it wasn't uh, mixed in. It was just a layer of leaf. And if your tongue wasn't really touching the leaf, then, you know, it wasn't really doing much for you. So. But, yeah, so I, I'm wondering that. And the, the only other question I, that comes to my mind on this is how we experience the eating of these of mint leaves, right? So, like, if it, I'm, not, I'm not even sure what flavor it is, right? Like, for example, like, spinaches, like I used, and mints and those type of, like, leafy things. Like, what the, like, where do we taste that? It's not really salty or anything, right? Is there a, is, is it just a textural thing? Maybe there's actually no kind of, like, taste in and of itself. All we taste is texture. And so, in this case, you, you kind of get a cooling sensation, but it's not, like, a, a taste Whoa. itself. Well, I mean, you could take the mint and just kind of rub it on your skin, and it would still feel cool. That's true. You know, the same thing with a with a, a hot pepper. So I think I don't know. I I don't know what the science is there. Well, maybe we'll do a mint week or something. <laughs> I don't know. I, I would like to because I think that there's something to be said about that. Because you can imagine because everybody talks about adding heat to sandwiches. I feel like when you watch food shows and stuff, but people rarely talk about adding cool to sandwiches. Yeah, I think there there are um, the list of things that you can add mint to is much much shorter than what sure. you can add, add some heat to right and since this seemed like a pretty good prospect you know basically just the tzatziki uh water chestnuts were not uh weren't gonna get in the way and uh roast beef you know i, I just figured it was worth a shot another way i could have done it, i guess was with like a mint oil and put the oil in the tzatziki and then it would have been a little more consistent Oh yeah, sandwich. Yep, yep. yep. uh, That makes sense. Well, in terms of my piece, is a conversation piece, right? Um, I mean, let's be honest. I mean, just when we kicked it off, when I said the word craisins, I think that the response was exactly like you'd expect the response to be, which is that's kind of crazy. And I I thought it was awesome, and I thought that in and of itself, the fact that it made it work and it added a little of a sweetness to balance with the saltiness of the of the meat, I I thought that was it was great, And, and and. you know, it's not totally innovative, but I but you'd be surprised adding a little bit of that that could really add really um, character as a word of the sandwich, right? Um, so the craisins and the beans being of the same size and kind of counterbalancing each other, I thought was a really interesting thing to do. But I still don't think that it was like a a really fascinating sandwich in of itself, uh, though it was a tasty one. So I give this a middle of the road three as well. Okay, yeah, that sounds. I think we've been pretty consistent um, in how we've how we've rated that category. Yeah, I think that's right. And I, I feel like I'm still trying to envision what the sandwich would be that I would give a 5 out of 5 on Conversation Piece 2 that may not, that may also be great tasting, right? Because I feel like I could do tons of things that are innovative or, like, you know, crazy. But, it, you know, and it would be a fascinating sandwich to talk about, but it could be a complete disaster in my mouth. <laughs> we're, just, we're just getting more and more, you know, potential taglines for this, for this podcast. Sandwich Wingman. A disaster in your mouth. <laughs> well, I'm hoping that uh, hope he doesn't hope, hope he doesn't come to that. Um, so, okay. So the, the overall experience of the sandwich. So um, go so, for it. Okay. So my overall experience. It, this is a really strange thing. So the overall taste was good, and you know, smell and taste are related. But when I was starting to bite into my sandwich, I gave it. I gave it ended up a three out of five on this because it smelled. It smelled bitter. I don't know how to explain that in another word, but like for some reason I was approaching it and it smelled kind of like, <laughs> like it smelled. I'm just, I'm just picturing you, you slowly moving this like, you know, oblong shaped object towards your mouth and you starting to like try to turn your head away like, oh. Yeah, that's what I mean. Exactly yeah. right. So like I was not only tilting in order to grab the bite, 
but when I, I, I also was kind of like repulsed initially, but I was like, it still tasted so good. But for some reason there was this kind of, I, I don't want to say it was like metallic, but maybe it came from the tinfoil. I don't know. But, but, um, but I'm pretty sure it was out of the tinfoil when I was eating it. Um, do, you, do you like Jello? I haven't had Jello in years. I mean, I, I like it. I mean, it's, it's not a, so I'm not it's, sure. not an, it's not an important part of your life. No, it's, it's an important part of your life. No, no, no. Uh, and I'll, I'll tell you why. But um, oh, okay. I, I wanted to make sure I wasn't robbing you of something uh, oh. before before I said this. Oh man! And um, anyone listening to this who loves Jello, just do not, you know, I don't know, skip forward. A minute or <laughs> um, the next time you run into Jello, just give it a, a little sniff, a smell. Um, it it smells exactly like wet dog. No. Like strongly of wet dog. I can't believe it. It believe it. <laughs> I, I was believe thinking you were gonna say it smelled like iron or something. But No no, it smells like wet dog, and once you know that it's really tough to to, oh. to eat it again. But e- even the well, I guess I'm thinking jello versus like jello chocolate pudding. But um but yeah, I but, get that. But there you go, right? I mean like it doesn't taste anything like wet dog, although I've never tasted a wet dog. I I, I haven't either, but yeah. Um, but you know, maybe could I say this to be a little edgy that maybe one week? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, okay, I won't say that. Okay. We're not. Uh, yeah, no. That is not on the list. Uh, okay, but there were so many. I don't but know was... whether you're gonna say, you know, whether we're gonna try wet dog sandwiches, right? Or whether you're gonna, you know, refer to the former spokesman for for, for Jello. Oh no, I was not going to do like, that. Yeah. No, 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 no. Neither way. No, all I yeah. So that's great. Um, but I will say that the that I, it was difficult for me on my sandwich to actually bite off pieces of it. So actually, the experience of it. I wonder if I should have dinged this more. Like it was really difficult to get through the sandwich as tasty as it was. But there's a there's a mouthfeel component to this too, and I think that sounded enjoyable. Oh, it's totally enjoyable. Absolutely enjoyable. Yes, yeah. and the crustiness of the bread. You know. Right. So. so what about you for overall so, experience? Well, uh, oh, I, yes. I didn't catch your number. What's oh, number? oh, I, I gave. I think I gave that a three. So okay. Yep. Fair enough. Well, I'm sticking with a three too. Um, like I said before, the thing I was most worried about with the roast beef is the the tearing thing, right? And I really just um, that didn't happen with the sandwich. So, you know, had it been difficult to tear, I would have uh, I would have rated this lower. I think by by adding ingredients that themselves didn't need to be torn with my teeth when I ate it, um, that probably helped. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, it was good, good bread. Um, I liked the the, the mouth feel of the of the tzatziki. Um, that said, you know, it the fact that it's it's getting a little bit messy. Um, you know, uh, on the on the way in, uh, that didn't uh, help. But yeah, I you know, it was a. Uh, I wish, I don't know. But we've got a pretty good scale here. Sometimes right. you wish you could kind of go in between numbers. Um, but I, I'm going to stick with a three. This is this is a three. Did, did, let me ask this as a follow-up to that. Did, did it take you a long time to eat the sandwich? Was, was this a difficult sandwich to, like, complete? Uh, no, this one went, went uh, down the hatch pretty quickly. <laughs> okay, okay, because I was wondering, because sometimes when, like, it's so messy, you, you, you either feel compelled to, like, get it yeah, down quickly or the opposite. Yeah, this super messy. Right, but, yeah, okay. this is a... Uh, I think I think um, messy and hot is kind of a different situation. Yes. This yes. was this was just like oh well you know some of the yogurt's gonna fall out when you try to right. 
smush it down and, and eat it, and then, I don't know, you just dip it, I guess. Right, right. No, I agree on that. Sandwich dipping. Yes, I mean, well, I mean, so, you know, that reminds me of the French dip, right? One, yeah. you know, sandwich you can dip into soup. Um, so, um, yeah, and, and yeah, maybe that's an inspiration, you know, onions or something. But um, so yeah, okay, good. So, what's your overall score this week, Ryan? This is, I believe, a twenty-three sandwich. All right, okay, okay. Um, solid. Well, that's solid. Um, I want to be out of thirty-five. Um, so yeah, we, but you know, yeah. realistically, we're never like. You're I, right. We may never get a sandwich that that has a three in front of it. So I think that's probably right. Uh, mine had a has a two in front of it. I got a twenty six, um, nice. which which I think is a strong showing, right? I think given our it's last couple weeks, I think it's our it's our second strongest showing out of eight sandwiches. Yeah, I would say that the I say that the sandwiches that end up having the greatest taste do get uh, that that bump, right? So, which is what you expect, right? So that's good. Yeah, true. Um, so, um, so your your sandwich from last week, uh, which was excellent with the pineapple. And this one, uh, you know, I'd recommend it actually to you, Ryan. I mean, like if you, I don't know how much often you cook chili and stuff, but I think there's something to be said here. So yeah, I, it, it does. Uh, I, I like how it's a, it's a, a corollary, of of something else you might do in the kitchen. Right. Because um, I don't know, like uh, just kind of cooking ground beef. That's not really my, my thing. Um, but, but yeah, kill two birds with one stone. As it were. Yeah. And a lapidary by Avicide. Oh yes, I think I've heard. Is that a <laughs> is that a famous quote, or is that just a quote like you heard in lecture one day or something? Uh, something. Let's yeah. Just, let's just say something. Leave it. Leave it. <laughs> uh, yeah, man. So, um, I, so well I, done. Yes, and you Congratulations. too. Congratulations. Uh, thank you. I appreciate that. I don't have a uh, a good segue here. Oh, except, well, I do have a good segue here to get into the discussion of Virginia Woolf, who as you know from from knowing me for so many years, I am such a fan of. Uh, I am such a fan of her and her writing. Um, but I was, I was I, there is actually a quote in there where she starts to describe food, which I feel like is just so apt here that we've been talking about a lunch oh, hour. That's right. And she talks about lunch. She goes, "It is a curious fact that novelists have a way of making us believe that luncheon parties are invariably memorable for something very witty that was said, yeah. or for something very wise that was done." But they seldom spare a word for what was eaten. Uh, it is it is part of a novelist it is part of the novelist convention not to mention soup and salmon and ducklings, as if soup and salmon and ducklings were of no importance whatsoever. As if nobody ever smoked a cigar or drank a glass of wine. So and then she goes into this discussion of of the food she ate during this uh, you know this kind of semi fictional account of how she came to think about uh, her conclusions for this lecture on. Uh, women in fiction, which I, um, if I'm correct, Ryan, I think uh, was originally uh, meant as a as a two hour lecture, maybe, but she ended up expanding yeah. it for print. I think two hour lectures, maybe. Oh, I think that is correct. Yes. Yeah, and and I think it was delivered in some fashion, but yes, then before before published in some way, um, I think they got the the expanded wolf treatment. <laughs> Yeah, it's and and, and am I correct that she it's also a pleasure gives, to read though too. So. It is a pleasure to read, as, as is a, a lot of her writing. Um, and it, it was a lot like that, yeah. Yeah, it, it, which I loved about it. So here, ostensibly, is like a what she kind of says is a semi-fictional account of like her, but she also gives herself a pseudonym essentially. 
um, and kind of yeah. says, like, this is a story kind of about me. There might be some lies in it. And she's like, it really is difficult to answer this question about, well, first of all, like, what am I supposed to explore in women in fiction? Is it, like, about women written in fiction, written about in fiction, or is it about fiction about, you know, women, or is it about women and the fictions that they tell or something, right? It was all these different kind of things that she was trying to think through. Um, and you could just imagine, you know, being back in college, right, and having these, like, lecture-like series having some weird name, and you can imagine the lecturer, like, saying, you know, it's a really weird theme to have for a lecture, and they kind of expound on that for a bit. And then they and then they kind of just go into what they wanted to talk about. Um, I was not expecting uh, ever to give a lecture series about uh, sandwiches and the wisdom they bring us. But I think you'll find that it's uh, gonna, you know, you're gonna learn something from this series. I agree. You may even get a pure chicken nugget of uh, of truth. Oh, out of it. oh man. Um, oh. So, so it, you know, it's hard because it's essentially it, since it's a narrative, it's it's hard to kind of figure out what, where best to jump in uh, to kind of pick it apart. But there are just some really nice gems of writing in here. That's and, true. And she's just really quite nice and descriptive um i think the actual work is split into about uh six parts uh you know and, and i think that we focus a little bit more on the on the on the beginning parts um so um you know what what i want to say yeah please go ahead yeah um yeah so uh, maybe maybe we ought to start off first with a disclaimer right i mean yeah. here here we are um you know two white guys living more than a hundred years, well, not more than a hundred years later, but uh, when this was published, anyway, I guess eighty-five years later, exactly. the world's really changed. But again, yes, we're the we're you know two white guys talking about this. But I feel like um, Virginia Woolf has given us an out here to talk yes. about it anyway. You are right, and I remember. Um, yes, and I so, I so I'll just read that. I yeah, guess. I was going to say I remember that there was a quote that kind of got to that. So at any rate, when a, when a subject is highly controversial, and any question of, uh, about sex is that, one cannot hope to tell the truth. One can only show how one came to hold whatever opinion one does hold. Exactly so, right. So I think that does give us some liberty here. And, I, and, and, I, you know, you got to just kind of talk about it anyway, even if um, you're not going to tow the party line, like uh, Emerson told us in week one, so... You know, and, and it's inter- yes, and um, it, it is nice to have the liberty. I think she says the same thing about taking the liberty to talk about the food you eat while you uh, <laughs> while you're thinking, which I think is also apt again. But you know, it's funny. I'll, I'll tell you the other the other thing here. That's true. When she starts talking about the art of writing, and she talks about uh, she talks about Tennyson for a bit, and uh, what is it, Rossetti? Yep. Um, but then she also gets into. Um, isn't it Milton? And how she, you know, the, the same state we talked about several weeks ago with Poe. Right where it's like um, the the work almost feels yeah, like right. it, 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 it was like the perf- it was like the what is it the the um, it was perfected like it, that it was the they like couldn't have gone any other way and how she was saying it was difficult uh, she was writing about what's this guy Charles Lamb right who essentially said um, right. how shocked it would have been to imagine like any word in was it Lycidas um, yeah. being written any differently right it's amazing how these authors come back to this where like there's this notion that you read great works and you're like, how could a word of this ever changed, right? How could anybody ever have changed any of the ingredients here that made up this work? Right. Um, what if what if Rob Hanna had used raisins instead of craisins? Exactly right. Right. It's, well, it's hard to imagine. It is hard to imagine because really the sandwich felt like it was an expression of my passions about food, 
And right. so you just you just have a very meaty outlook, but you know, with a little bit uh, a little fruity sometimes. Yes. Yes. Um yes. <laughs> Thank you. I uh I uh, that really means a lot. Um so <laughs> Uh, and I, I will say that that inspires me to want to have and I think several uh, either this week or a previous week I really wanted to make something with pears like a fruit a fruit as the basis yeah. of the sandwich so I think that's something inspired uh, or something that might inspire some other stuff as well, well. When, when we hang out when we uh, weren't together on, on Sunday yes I, I ended up having a sandwich that had some sliced uh, apples that is right that is right that is right I will tell you it, it is hard it, it is you almost wish that we did a that we talked last week about a room with the a room of one's own because we were both in the same room <laughs> uh, yeah. doing it, but also but, the, but now we're now I'm in a room of my own and I'm in a room yes and I'm yes. essentially yes good so point this may be more appropriate it might be more appropriate right the um, so I just want to say about the apple or the pear yeah please you do there yes uh, whatever you do I think I think we're talking about slices you're not talking about chunks I think and, you're right um, yep you want you want to um, Slice pretty thin. Just you... make sure you slice thin. Oh, okay. Because um, if you think having like a tomato slice that was a centimeter thick was a problem, you know, having a, having an apple slice that's a centimeter thick that's a problem. So. I think yeah, I think you're right. I, I think I was talking yeah, tomato slices too, right? Yeah. But uh, the app the apple will would have the same problem, but uh, with the volume turned up, turned up. So, yeah, well, we'll see. Maybe we can have that be not too far away. Um, the you know, and as you and I both have said, you know that there, we love reading Wolf. We actually really enjoyed reading this piece. We also knew we were acknowledging the challenge of discussing this. That there's something about it that made it difficult to kind of um, pick out and kind of take apart. Yeah, and, and not necessarily because of the theme or anything, just because. It was hard to kind of the imagine style. the style yeah. of it, right? Is very different. And almost one reason why we haven't covered like fiction per se on on the air, we we think we might not, is for those similar reasons, right? Um, you know, the essays yeah. might, essays might have a point, whereas uh, like one particular point or two points to drive home, but like the, the the narrative has a plot and you follow it through. I just highly encourage people to, to go back and read this. It's a fascinating little little piece. The um, and there's you know we could just keep quoting a lot, but what I will say is that this. You and I both know that Virginia Woolf's, uh, you know, we know of the To the Lighthouse, and we're just huge fans of some of the writing in there, which I think mirrors right. some of the writing in here, right? And and uh, yeah, it's very much like a tracing, like a thought tree. Exactly like, right. You know, I thought about this, and then it then it led me to think about that, and that's that's pleasant because we're used to that that kind of structure because that's just how we live. You know? right. Yeah, that's exactly. We live right. in our own brains. Right, so I feel like that's why when you when you love reading things like The Lighthouse and you're going inside Mr. Ramsey's mind, and and it's like you know what what is in there, what is he thinking about? It just it feels you're right. I think it feels so natural. Um, the only thing I'll point out is is just that, and maybe it doesn't necessarily appropriate even a quote, but like you and I both love in Virginia Woolf's um, when there's a, and I think it's in the first section of the uh, To the Lighthouse where she talks about. Um, this particular kind of, um, I'm not sure if he's a professor, but he certainly is someone who's like scholarly. Yeah. He's a philosopher. Right. And he talks about, and she talks about kind of the challenges and maybe some of the challenges we're feeling now, but like putting everything together in terms of, uh, 
range in the alphabet from A to Z, right? Something like his mind, you know, if thought, you know, the way she writes about it, perhaps, if thought is like the keyboard of a piano divided into so many notes, or like the alphabet is ranged in 26 letters all in order, then his splendid mind had no sort of difficulty running over all those letters one by one, firmly and accurately until it had reached, say, the letter Q. Right. And we both love that. We've, we've used that. We think it's a, one of her great nuggets of pure truth. Um, and, it's just and, a, yeah, it's a, um, it's like idiomatic because it refers to, like, just how she kind of had to make this up in order to, to convey her thought accurately. Exactly right. Um, you know, what else, who else has made something else up to explain this of, you know, uh, thoughts of increasing like levels of complexity and then, yeah, she comes in and, you know, his, his struggle then is to like get to R from Q and he keeps trying to, and sometimes it's close and, uh, that, that was the, the nature of, of his struggle. So we've been able to use that before. Yeah, you're right. And in fact, now now that uh, now here I am making this connection here, I, you know, I, I wouldn't have thought this, but you know, could you now think about looking at Virginia Woolf's A Room of One's Own in this light about you know this is how you like what she was struggling with to get to R? I mean, wasn't she essentially like I had this theme, and there's so much that was written about this, and a lot of these works are written by men about women and. And there's all these different issues to explore, and she's like struggling to to get the lecture to um, one to reconstruct her thought process, right? But I think she also was feels compelled to kind of, as she said in the beginning, to come to an, a nugget of pure truth, right? So she kind of wanted it to be like, here's this great kind of like takeaway line about the fact that what a woman really needs, uh, like woman authors, right, is a room of their own and and, and money to support them. Like, like, really, her thought process here in writing that work is not that dissimilar from the thought process that she's describing in Mister Ramsey. Yeah, yeah, I think you're, I think you're right there, and uh, you know, if your if your life is dominated with with day to day tasks, uh, because you're always around other people, and uh, you know, you just can't take that time off. Then, you know, what what kind of great um, timeless or, like, not time-specific things are you going to produce? I don't know. Right. Yeah, I mean, it just... It, yeah, and in fact, I mean, she, and she just keeps pushing through to come to those type of conclusions in this lecture. And and, and maybe one way to, to think about... I, I mean, maybe we can give her a lot of credit here that the narrative device that she uses to describe her thought process in these lectures is, is really, like, a uh, about her essentially walking around and experiencing life which I think is such a wonderful thing. Like it's, she essentially is just like Mrs. Dalloway, right? And all these other characters in her books, right? Where it's like you follow them around the, the plot, but really it's just about like you're actually following their minds and really like right. the, the mind is kind of the, the most compelling part of it. And, and the narrative is just kind of like the life that the mind is experiencing. Yeah, the only difference is that uh, you know, here we're, we're in one person's mind and we're not, we're not popping around to other that, people. Yeah, without a doubt. Yeah, that's, that's very much her style, I think. And uh, I do enjoy it. It's it's nice. Yeah. So the, the thing I wanted to kind of think about in terms of uh, the other part of kind of focusing on this work while we're kind of working through a room of one's own and maybe in this light is that it is there, – there's this interesting theme of – and we've talked about this before um, – about writing 
and the and how difficult it is for beginning writers to or I should say let me step back how the 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 process of an author's um, you know professional evolution typically begins with them having to write a work of fiction in kind of a I wouldn't necessarily say like in a um, I would say in a resource poor setting, right? So you, you're, you're usually working another job. So even if you're making enough money, you're still working a job and, and have limited time to work on the fiction that is a passion of yours or the, or the, the, the work of nonfiction or whatever is a passion of yours. Right, and, you, right. and you're always in this resource poor environment. But once you kind of get out um, your first work and if it's well received, you can suddenly kind of shift gears and then suddenly your source of income is this writing at which point you are no longer resource poor. Right, so you have you have yeah, you but have, the first one is always on spec. Yes, so, yes, yeah. yes. Right, so it, it's interesting how she gets into the fact that, and, and I haven't dug, I have not dug deeper into uh, history here, but I'm thinking about. I think this is in the second part of it, where she talks about how her aunt uh, Mary Benton has died or had died and left her uh, like five hundred five hundred pounds a year, and how this really changed her life because she no longer had to work other jobs while she was doing her writing. Yeah. She's getting, you know, I don't know if I have to read the whole thing, but but there's something actually. I'll read a little of this quote just because I think it's actually pretty interesting. It says, "See, the news of my legacy." She's talking about receiving this money. Reached me one night about the same time that the act was passed that gave votes to women. I mean, what a what a momentous occasion, right? A, soli- a solicitor's letter fell into the post box, and when I opened it, I found that she had left me five hundred dollars a year forever. Um, of the two, the vote and the money. The money I own seemed infinitely the more important. Before that, I had made my living by caging odd, oh, yeah, caging odd jobs from newspapers, by reporting a donkey show here or a wedding there. I had earned a few pounds by addressing envelopes, reading to old ladies, making artificial flowers, teaching the alphabet to small children in a kindergarten. Such were the chief occupations that were open to women before 1918. So here she are in a time where, like, uh, you know, the vote is being expanded, perhaps even like political representation in that regard, right? Um, and she also now has this, this sum of money that, that she can kind of rely upon, which allows her to focus on her writing. And, and I, don't, I don't know where this work kind of was ranged in terms of her, um, her overall, uh, you know, um, canon, right? The number of all her different kind of works. But I wonder whether or not, uh, it'd be interesting to look about what happened with her writing post this. I think it's an open question. I wonder what would have happened without that. Um, but it's amazing. What would you do? Uh, what would you do if you were independently wealthy? Because you can only make so many sandwiches every day. <laughs> yeah, no, I'd make sandwiches full time. No, um, the uh, um, other people, yeah, yes, yes. Maybe, you'd, maybe you'd finally, you know, get past that three percent. You know, your the Rob meat would would not be ninety seven percent. Oh, that's meat. true. Yes, I, I could eat a lot more sandwiches. Yes, um, yeah. yes. So, oh, what would I do if I had that? I mean, well, um, is there something that? You're doing on spec that you would not, you know, I, I don't know. You, you see what I'm... I do see what you're saying. I think it's a fascinating question. Um, we can come back to that. Yeah, maybe come back to I, I wonder if you have an answer to that. Something to think about, maybe over, over the course of a week. Yeah, I think you're right. Let's let's. I think that's a great question, right? What would you do if you did that? I mean, obviously there's... Um, I don't want to speak for you, but I imagine that writing is obviously something that... That, yes. that, that you, would, you would pursue. Yeah. Um... So, yeah, let's think about that more. Um, Another thing I, I found interesting about this piece yeah. is, uh, and, um, you know, I have this this kind of great interest in 
World War One and kind of post World War One. Um, yes, yes, exactly. And, and, and history because they're so uh, the link is so strong there, and and things really do kind of change all of a sudden. Um, and so there's you know Wolf is is writing this maybe ten years after the war, so it's not um, not crazy for her to her to you know draw a big dividing line um, between her present and her past and exactly. her past mm-hmm. um, so give her maybe a little extra credit there but we found this like like every week with any of these uh, you know older pieces that we've we've talked about where it's like oh no that was then and, and now now it's the future um, exactly she yeah you know, uh, she just says this offhandedly like she doesn't even need to um, to back it up and this is not like a like a Federalist Papers. She doesn't have that kind of um, uh, technique where where she tries to just squeeze something in there to to convince you of it just right. by the casual nature of bringing it up. She doesn't really do that, but she does this. She says, "And when the age of faith was over, and the age of reason had come, right?" When she's talking about the the chapel that was built, exactly how how before you know it was gold, you know just handfuls of gold and silver that went to to buy it and and later on it, it's just you know people writing checks uh, to build to build colleges and, and such exactly um, she's making the point that the that the gold and the silver keep kept coming in even after the age of faith was over uh, but is was was the age of faith over I mean, I I agree. The age of reason had begun. Had come, right? Yeah. But is that uh, was there a time that that you know faith was more dominant? I guess it, it, it's, it's not like faith is gone. No, without a doubt. I, I it it is fascinating to think, and this is why we I think we come back to talking about this particular period between the wars too, right? Yeah, like like right. people like it really was literally a a world change a change of perspective uh, like something so momentous and um and and weighty right with such gravity had occurred that you feel like everything you feel like it really did everything before and after really had a clear demarcation right and like this has to be a new age right you kind of want to hope that all out of that war came something productive came a new age right came something you know a a, a time of relative peace. Yeah. Um, and so maybe she wanted to, I mean, and we always want to have these dualities, right? We want to think that like before this major event and after it, there are different things, right? So maybe we, so maybe it's just more like stylistic, right? So of course faith had not ended, but maybe the dominant, um, you know, thing, maybe the, strangely, maybe the, the response to war is not faith, but actually like to want to reason it out, to ration it, to, to rationalize it. Are, are we at, at kind of a similar point, I mean, because I, I thought for a while now, I think we've we've talked about in the past, like uh, you know, hundred, two hundred years from now, this age that we're living in right now, these last uh, you know twenty, twenty five years, maybe even going forward, we'll have to see what what kind of happens. Right. Um, it's probably gonna have a name, you know, like the the industrial revolution. I mean, you just think about how pervasive computers are at this point. When when we were when you and I were were little kids, a personal computer was um, not something that you'd run into necessarily. 
None, was... No, but I, we, we kind of were born at the cusp of it, though, right? I mean, wasn't it in the early 80s yeah. that a lot of this stuff was, was being developed for the consumer market? Or sorry, the, the personal computer market, right? Just right. beginning. It was in its earliest phases. Right. So we just had to grow up in what might be eventually called the computer age or the yeah, in, information. No. Yeah, the, the computer revolution. I mean, it really is. I mean, think about, you know, to that point. You know, and we had no major war event that drove that, right? I mean, this was not like, uh, I mean, this was like, I guess, like the Industrial Revolution, right? Which is like, you know, it came out of uh, uh, a change in technologies, right? So, of course. Right. Um, but it looks like we're on the cusp of another one now. You know, I don't know if you're familiar with this, but Microsoft just came out with this, um, I think it's called HoloLens. And it's, it's effectively this um, kind of 3D immersive experience where, you you know, picture putting on goggles or something and looking around the room and having every part of the room kind of have some kind of like uh, layer over it that, that is that is tech, right? So like you look at a wall and instead of having a TV there, it's like a TV that you projected from your lenses. So it's if the TV is on that wall, you look at your fridge and, and maybe it tells you like what's in the yeah. fridge or something. Right. Um I mean, just I mean, that seems totally different, right? It didn't. It was someone recently. Maybe it was it was um, I forget his first name, but Schmidt from um, from Google, um, kind of talking about um, the fact that like we're not even going to kind of see computers anymore. Like the internet will just be everywhere. Um, like you know, I, people talk about the Internet of Things and stuff like that, but it's going to start to feel so different that that that, that even like calling this computer revolution, uh, we're already shifting into something different, right? That maybe like. The next phase of that is that, like, the computer revolution led to another revolution where essentially the internet was like the w- – was literally the ether, right? That, like, literally we all kind of lived in this semi-virtual world. We, we, I think we're practically there now. I mean, that's how rapidly these things are changing. Well, it certainly seems very extremely alien, this, uh, this like, construct of keeping in touch with people through writing letters. Oh, exactly, Rice. Yep. That seems, that seems quaint. You know, thirty years ago, that would not have seemed quaint. I mean, the the t- telephone obviously is uh, would have been the preferred method, probably. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, I mean, think about. It. I think we've talked about this before, right? How many different modes of communication there are now? Right. Um, you know, I, I can talk to you in various ways. I can talk to you over the internet. I can talk to you over um, over the phone. Yeah, all the different things, right? I can text you. I can email you. Um, it's just, it's just remarkable. Um, and, and we're, we're eventually going to probably become something where it's all melded in, right? Our phones and our computers are essentially kind of one now. <laughs> um, and you can now imagine like, maybe like these helmets that we'll wear or these like glasses will essentially be our computers and our phones and everything else in it. Right. And they'll probably, this, this is crazy. So it's like a virtual reality sheen over that, actual reality. That is exactly how I would, I think that is a very accurate description of it. Yeah. Yikes. So like right so but you can imagine like the pluralism and pros and cons of this and and maybe it's not completely related to to Wolf but it seems like she's writing at this time of like a cusp between two different ages and while there hasn't been kind of a a war to drive this um, it, it, we certainly might be going you know on the on the cusp of another revolution which which will need to be processed right like what what are the implications here um, what is this new age um, is the is the age of computing over and the age of something else beginning I, I don't know. Um. Well, cool. Oh, all right. Yeah. So my favorite, my favorite quote that I read from this. Yes, please. And where this is going to go? Because this is going to be tweeted by, by at Sandwich Wingman. Excellent. Um, there are people 
whose charity embraces even the prune. <laughs> yes, there's something quite delightful about thinking that we can now dig out of works of fiction those great words about food. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, well, well, I'm gonna add. I'm gonna add to it because I've been, I've enjoyed talking to you today. Yes, me too. And, uh, and we've got. Uh, this is a sandwich powered podcast in multiple ways exactly right the human frame being what it is heart body and brain all mixed together and not contained in separate compartments as they will be no doubt in another million years a good dinner is of great importance to good talk one cannot think well love well sleep well if one has not dined well man that is a great way to kind of sum this up, right? Um, that, that, that was fa- my hope. Yeah, it's, it's wonderful. Now, first of all, I had a couple. I was uh, a couple ideas came to my mind for the next type of thing we could use as our main ingredient. For some reason, when you when you said prune, I'm not saying we should do prunes, but it just kind of inspired, no, no. please it, it, God, no. It kind yes. of inspired me to think about like, do we want something sweet? It's like unusual to be that that next week thing. I don't know whether you've thought about this. I don't want to jump in. If you have a great idea, I I, I, um, no, we've actually, uh, yeah, we didn't set the groundwork here. Yeah, so so here's my. We've got a list of like forty things. Oh yeah, we get told and and um. Here, here's here's a here's a pitch. Uh, Please. How about um, jalapenos? As a as like a main ingredient as a common well, that's not really much of a limiting factor though, right? Because then we can, I don't know, we can almost add that to anything. You're right. You're right. So perhaps that's not a good a good. Uh, I think I think you're I think you're right about being a limiting factor. Um, so, <laughs> uh, well, I, I I thought it was not bad, but but I I I'm thinking heat. So maybe there's oh. some kind of main ingredient that like could involve heat or something, right? Um, well, uh, yeah, I don't it, know. Uh, want me to name a few and then you pick one, or what do you? Yeah, go for it. Uh, chocolate as a main ingredient. Uh, okay. Uh, grilled chicken. Okay, okay, okay. Avocado. Um, tuna. Okay, nothing. I think I, nothing anything. Uh, yes, yes. I am. We know we have to do avocado. All right, so we'll do avocado. Yes, avocado will be for the next episode. Okay. I am very excited about that choice. This is great. I think there's a lot to do with it, and I think that. Uh, it is much more limiting factor than jalapenos. <laughs> <laughs> but there's no reason you can't, you know. Ooh, those, do, those ha, two, ha, two ingredients have worked together. In jalapeno and avocado. I see. Uh, well, this is it's great. A, it's a jalapeno in your mouth. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Um, okay, so I would say th- th- this has been great. Um I, episode four, you know, here we are, beef, <laughs> beef and Virginia Woolf's, uh, a room of one's own. Here we are, each in our own rooms of our own, as it were, making this. Uh, it's been a pleasure speaking with you today, Ryan. I am very much looking forward to uh, avocado. avocado next week. Yes, we'll have uh, the next week, the avocados number will be two. You and me. Yes. Sandwiches. Excellent. <laughs> okay, well, take care, Ryan. Take care.